Did you know locums docs make, on average, 33% more than employed docs? Got your attention now? So, if you're considering locum tenants, either full-time or on the side, you probably have a question or two, or maybe even 20. Locumstory.com is packed with unbiased information and tools to see what the trends are in your specialty and even make a decision if locums is right for you. My advice? Make locumstory.com the go-to place to learn more about locum tenants. That's locumstory.com. What's good, everyone? This is Dr. Nee with Docs Outside the Box. I'm excited to have Kevin Matthews, also known as Building Bread. He is a former financial advisor. He is now a certified financial planner, um, comes with all of the educational, I guess, alphabet soup at the end of his name uh, that qualifies him. I think you graduated from Hampton University, brother. I think you graduated from, at one point, Harvard from Northwestern University. Um, so you definitely got the accolades. And at one point, you were a top 100 most influential financial advisor by Investopedia. It's a big deal. And then also a five-time Plutus Award winner, um, which is also another big deal, man. So Kevin Matthews, man, thank you for making time for us. Thank you for Docs Out. Thank you and welcome to Docs Outside the Box. Thank you. I appreciate it. So listen, man, let's let's jump right into this because you, I see you've been spending a lot of time on social media, especially Instagram, as well as TikTok. I've been following you and you've been watching what's been going on. Stocks are going down, then they go up, then stocks go down, and then they go down, and then they go down, and it may go up, and then they go down, 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 and then inflation is going up. Gas is expensive. Milk is expensive. Bro, what's up? Being a recession? Man. What's going so, on? Let's just, just jump definition. right into it. <laughs> so, so by <laughs> definition, we are not in a recession yet. Uh, officially, we're going to find out whether or not we're in a recession come July. And the reason why I say that is because when, when as economists, when we say we're in a recession, we need two consecutive quarters of negative GDP. Okay. GDP stands for gross domestic product. That's basically the value of all the stuff and services that we produce. You add it all up, that's what GDP is. Q1, we were down negative 1.4%. Q2, we gonna find out. So all mm-hmm. we have to do is, is have a negative in front of any number, we'll officially be in a recession. And then as a result of those numbers, those indices, then stock markets and everything else kind of responds in relation to that number if we're, or whatever that indication of if we're in recession, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So the stock market is our daily gauge of what we think is going to happen in the future. So the stock market is already saying, yeah, bro, it's a recession. It's the worst thing ever. <laughs> it's what the stock market <laughs> is saying. And they're already like jumping the gun. Um, at it's this got point, people shook. It's got yeah, people a- shook. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just absolutely just to shook in shambles, whatever it is you want to call it. So the stock market is already like, yeah, we're in recession. We'll find out if that's the truth. I would be shocked if we were not, but there are a lot of economists that say, hey, you know, it's not going to be extreme growth, but we're not going to be negative. So we'll see. And in inflation that we are seeing right now, is this because of what's going on in Ukraine or we were already heading down that path already? Yeah, so it's it's actually a a mix of weird factors. So when you have inflation, it's basically you got too much money out there in the economy chasing too few goods, which okay. means that your supply and demand don't match up. How do we get in this space? Well, it started with COVID. And with, when we had those lockdowns, people weren't producing enough stuff. People weren't going to work. So you had a, a reduction in supply, but that demand was still out there. So you got that. That started it. Then you know, I wasn't paying my student loans and most people weren't either. So I was saving more money and just like everybody else than we had possible. So we had more people that had money, more people that saved money, which is generally a good thing, but it means I got more power 
to bid up the prices on everything else. Uh, so you've got that. Okay. You got I supply got you. chains. Yeah. So you got supply chains is an issue. And you have Russia and Ukraine. And then you had the fact that we were using stimulus money, that we were saving money by not paying student loans and other things. So those three factors are how we got to this inflationary period right now. How long do you think it's going to last? And is is that one of the things that determines if we're in a recession? I know it's it's GDP that's decreasing, but is one of the signs of being in a recession inflation? Or is that a dumbass question? You can tell me. No, no, no. So it's, it's not a dumb question at all, but they don't always go hand in hand. There are times mm-hmm. where inflation is high and we don't go into recession and vice versa. I think it's it's kind of like, um, like just a rainstorm and a hurricane where every hurricane got some rain with it. But it can rain and nothing bad happened, right? So mm. a lot of times they, they tend to go together. Um, so inflation is can definitely cause a recession because at some point, if I say, look, this shit too high, I'm not buying nothing else, right? And everybody does that, then you end up in recession. Oh, man, so I, I'm a little nervous because I haven't seen anything like this. I mean, because this is worse than Brexit, I'm assuming, right? This is worse than Brexit. This is worse than COVID, right? The stock market tumbling? Uh, actually, no, not yet. Not yet. But you see how new you see how the news makes people nervous? Yeah, absolutely. And that's and that's the thing. I I talked about this, I think, on Instagram or YouTube the other day. But when the when the stock market fell in 2020, I think it was as low as 38%. That's as far as it dropped. As of today, we're at 20%. Uh-huh. We still got a ways to go. See, this is why this, this is, is why you on the show so that you can explain <laughs> it so you can break it down so it'll be forever broke. You know what movie that's from? Yeah, I, I don't know the millennial quote. Love Jones, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I'm, but but this is what that's why you're here is so that you could break it down for us and let us know that okay, should we really be like, and should we be nervous or is just one of those things where we're at this number? News has a tendency to, you know, make things sound worse than they are. It sounds like we're kind of in a mix, right? Yeah, we're we're in the mix, and I think like the market falls like this every seven or so years. Like every investor, and I mean every investor in life, has gone through a period in time like this. I have a four year old son; he's been through a period like this twice in his whole lifetime. Like that's that's how common this is. Like twenty twenty, hey, market was down, but it actually was up by the end of the year, which is strange to think right. about. And then this year, we'll see what happens. But the thing is, everybody says like, oh, I wish I would have bought Amazon back in 97. It's like, yeah, you also went through the dot-com bus too. You know, right, are, you, right. are you real about that or no? Right. Um, so this is like one of those opportunities that, hey, if it falls, it falls. But I'm in it for a long time. And this is this is where I think a lot of people, their moxie shows up, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of people always say, well, dollar cost average or, you know, you're going to invest when a stock market goes down. It's going to be a discount. And it's like, well, we may be in a discount for a bit. Are you still going to be investing? And that's... I think that's where we find out who's really in this, who's really a long-term yeah. investor. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, yeah. We we say scared money don't make no money. We are gonna find out. Jeez, <laughs> man. So let, well, let's let's take a step back then, because you know I wanted to save this question till later on, right? Like we're seeing that the stock market is dropping a little bit, then goes up, just like we kind of said. We're not technically in a recession yet, but we see companies like Tesla. Obviously, Amazon has already done it, where they are splitting, right? Mm-hmm. Like the stock is splitting. Like, explain to us what that means for us in terms of being able to purchase stock. And then what does that really mean when a company does that? What are they trying to do when they split their stocks? Yeah, so let's talk about like what a stock split is. Basically, it makes a company seem more attractive. I really want to emphasize the, the seeming, the seemingly mm, part. Okay. Um, so, for example, if I take a $5 bill and make five ones, it's still worth the same. But perhaps five ones, depending on where I'm trying to go, might be more attractive, right? But, but why would that be? Like $5 bill or a $10 bill always seems more attractive than their singles. Because I see what you're getting at, but it's just, it's like psychology, right? 
Yeah, it's, it's definitely psychology. So, mm-hmm. for example, Amazon is, I don't know, $100 or $200 a share, whatever it is now, right? But before the split, it was $3,000 a share. Yeah. So some people say, oh, my God, like this is expensive. I cannot afford this stock. Whereas it. now, it's like, oh, $125? Sure, I can get that. Right. So like it, it makes it feel more attractive. But what it does is it increases the number of shares. So you have one five dollar bill and have five bills, but they're all ones. That's essentially what it does. It makes it feel more attractive. Sometimes it excites investors and gets uh, wants to um, have them to jump into it. But also data shows us that usually on average, after one year, a year after the stock split, the, the companies that split tend to do better than the stock market as a whole. This episode is brought to you by locumstory.com. Backdrop. 2012, finishing my fellowship in Miami, and no decision bigger than where and how I was going to start working on my own. And there it was, the fork in the road. Being employed versus something I had never heard of before, locum tenants. So I decided to go the locums route, and I had a ton of questions then. I stumbled a bit, but eventually I was able to stand on my own, and I have been working locums over the past 10 years. Now, what about you? If you're considering locums, you probably have hella questions just like I did. Like, who covers my malpractice? Do I really have control over how often I work? And what are the tax implications? Now, lucky for you, locumstory.com has the answers you need. It's packed with unbiased information and advice from docs just like you. And there's nothing to sell here. It's just a simple resource for information, like finding out what's the average pay rate for your specialty. There's even a quiz to see if locums is right for you. So listen, take my advice. Locumstory.com is the perfect place to start if you want to learn more about locums. That's locumstory.com. So for folks like you who like put a stack of 20 down and was able to get like a whole bunch of Amazon stock when it was 3000, right? Uh, so <laughs> I'm just so yes, <laughs> yes and no. But the thing is, like for for most of us, we right. we can still invest with what's called fractional shares. Right. So so, th- so if let's say for example, you do have let's say back in I don't know like several weeks ago, if you had a stock, an Amazon stock for one thousand or for three thousand mm-hmm. dollars, what does that mean now? So like now you have twenty. Split? Yeah. So you, now you have twenty of them. That's that's really it. So I have did, one did, share for three thousand. Now I got twenty you know, of those shares divided by, you know, whatever 3,000 divided by 20 is. That so, hasn't diluted you at all or? Mm-mm. And like I said, tr- talk to me like I'm a fourth grader. That's why I'm asking these questions. Well, yeah. So like, so like, th- and that's the thing. So like the value is the same. Um, one example I use is if I have a slice of pizza, I cut it into smaller pieces. Does it taste any better? No, it's still, it's still the same pizza, right? It's still gotcha. the same value. Mm-hmm. But again, it's, it's really about making the company seem more affordable and seem more attractive, which sometimes can encourage people to jump into it. Gotcha. But it's, it's really just cosmetic. That's all it is. So you're more likely to buy Amazon stock if it's $120 a share as opposed to 3K, three stacks, basically. Right. Most people would. Okay. I get it. I get it. And then, so when you see companies that do that, it almost seems like okay, well, the stock market is going down, but then this company is splitting, is is splitting their stock. It, that's a way for them to raise money too, right? It is can. that a good sign? That's and you say at the end, at the end of a year, it sounds like it's a good sign. Yeah, yeah. So it, it all depends on why they do it. So some companies do it just because they want to do it; they want to seem more attractive. Others companies do it because they're they're trying to to 
really kind of game the system. So for example, Shopify is doing their split, I think at the end of this month, they're doing it so they can help their CEO retain control of the company. So Shopify, eh, I don't know, that was a different story. But most Mm -hmm. cases, it's we want to see more attractive, we want to see more affordable, and we want to kind of ingratiate ourselves with more investors. So let's split, let's try and, and grow the value of the company a bit more. Is that what's going on with Tesla? Because, I mean, I don't know if you can really tell what's going on with Elon. Like, he's all over the place. Yeah. So, and that's that's another question mark. So, the first time they did this was like two years ago. I think that was a genuine stock split. I think that made sense. This time around, I don't know. It sounds like Elon is trying to, trying to raise more money to, to, to get Tesla <laughs> to, to spur something on. Because I'm like, bro, you're doing too much. You're doing way yeah. too much. <laughs> yeah, he's doing a lot. Um, and then what's going on with Twitter the way in which he's starting to back off and say, well, if you don't show A or if you don't show criteria B, then I won't buy it. I'm wondering if because he had so much in Bitcoin and Bitcoin is going down, he may not got it like that anymore. And maybe he's just kind of trying to use these excuses to say, hey, if you don't show this type of information to me, then I'm not going to purchase one. Maybe the underlying thing is he ain't got the money or he ain't got the bread. I, I think so. I think that's that's a big part Score of it. one for Darko. Uh, See? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I got this financial stuff. All right, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's that's a big part of it. I think he's stretching himself too thin. And I think it was a dumb move to begin with. Like, Twitter doesn't really make that much money. So what was the point in you buying it to, to do what? Like, for, for what? But then also, you cannot be... Flex. Yeah, something. Right? Yeah, it was a <laughs> but, flex. But yeah, so like, you also can't be the CEO of a good CEO of three different companies. And I'm, I'm making an assumption here, but like as a doctor, I don't think you can specialize in like three totally completely different things. Like, can you be a dentist and a brain surgeon and a chiropractor, like all at the same time? No. I don't know. No. I mean, it's the no. simple notion of like Jack of all trades. I think the closest yeah. thing is, you know, like ER physicians can handle so many different types of patients, mm-hmm. but for the most part, they see it over and over and over and over and over right. again. Trauma surgery, we take care of patients who are injured, but we see these things over and over and over and over again. Whereas, you know, he's just jumping into this. Yeah. Um, so and you I, can't, I, yeah. and, they're, and they're not related. Like at least as an ER doctor, it's, it's all medical. Right. right. So like you can't be like social media CEO, especially when, when Jack Dorsey, the founder, couldn't fix it. So that's number one. The person who built it couldn't fix it. But like social media CEO. Why can't, I, space why can't company, I still edit, man? We got to still like we can't edit a tweet. Come on. But come, <laughs> man, bruh. And I'm damn sure not going to pay for it either. So don't don't try that with me. So, <laughs> like You can't be like space, SpaceX CEO, take us to the moon and then also car revolutionary uh, vehicle CEO and then social media CEO all at the exact same time. Like yeah. that, that don't, that don't work. It does right. not work. Yeah. I think a lot of people kind of have a little bit of some lust, a little bit of some, um, they put him on a pedestal and think that he yes. can't do any wrong and stuff. And yeah, I agree with you. Three different companies, three different major companies being a mm-hmm. CEO. And you know, he's the, you know, remember those stories from two years ago where they were saying he was sleeping on the campus of Tesla and making sure that they were producing and getting everything out on time and so forth. Mm-hmm. And like, he can't spread himself. He can only spread himself so, you know, so thin. And obviously there's some allegations that are going on also that are going to muddy the water also. So Yeah. And he's, he's also not helping himself either. And I think Twitter is making it worse for him. So for example, he was like, uh, you got to be in the office 40, to 40 hours a week yeah. or something like that. And then he also was saying, I feel super bad about the economy. So I'm going to have to lay off X amount of people. Yeah. And like Microsoft and Google are like, bet, do that. Because I will snap up those employees right. very, very quickly. And the backbone of any company is the value of its people. Right. So if you want to let them people go, they're going to take their money. They're going to go to Google, Amazon, Facebook, wherever, wherever else. 
and you're going to see Tesla continue to fall. So I think that split is like, hey, let me distract people from the fact that this Twitter thing is not working. Let me see if I can grow my money just a bit more and kind of take the heat off of myself. Mm, okay. I like that perspective. It makes sense. All right. So for the listener right now, we're talking about med students, residents, attendings. Um, we even talk about some pre-med students. They are all busy. So right now, there's a lot of noise going on. We just covered if we're in a recession, what's going on with stocks, what's going on with all this stock splitting. It's a lot of stuff on social media. What do you think they should be doing right now? What should they be doing with their money? Should they be saving? Um, index funds? Take us through all that. Yeah. I think that the main thing is to remain calm. I think that's mm, that's the number one that's thing. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because whether it is excitement, like, oh, stock split, let me just jump out here and do that, or fear, let me just like jump inside and do nothing. Like, just remain calm. There is nothing out there that you need to immediately jump in and do or not do. Despite so, what social media says. <laughs> oh, yeah. Despite what social media says, despite what the your notifications or your timeline says, you know, you always get that one uncle that told you to do something stupid. Um, and, some and serious FOMO. There's some oh, yeah. serious oh, yeah. FOMO with, Every with Instagram. Time. If you just swipe up and you just see it. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, and those apps are designed for that. The the media, the news is designed for that to catch your eye and, and keep you in front of the TV. So that's the first thing. Remain calm. The second thing is, I think dollar cost averaging in index funds, especially if you are busy, is the absolute best thing you can do. And okay. Give us, give, us, make, give us a little review again. What's dollar cost averaging? Yeah. What's your thoughts on index funds? T- take us through that. We, yeah. we, don't, we don't mind a review. Sure, sure. So let's talk with dollar cost averaging. Dollar cost averaging is essentially putting in the exact same amount of money on a regular schedule. Some people say every two weeks, first and 15th, once a week, uh, once a month, whatever it's going to be. I'm putting in $1,000. I'm putting in $10,000 every single time on these particular days. The advantage there is that you, you don't have to time the market. You don't have to guess, oh, is this the right price? Is this high? Is this low? You take all of that out of the equation by dollar cost average. So that's number one. So whether you can do this automatically and say, hey, look, invest in X, Y, and Z, $1,000 every single time. That you can do. That's, that's the first thing. And it takes you out of the the everyday, like, oh, let me check my phone. Let me check my account. Mm. You don't have to do all that. You yeah. don't do none of that, right? Just dollar cost average, walk away. So that's number These one. App, and the apps make it easy for you to log sure in and check, and check them and everything. Robin Hood to, yeah, I got you on that. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's number one. Number two, index funds are still your best friend. An index fund invests in an entire sector of the market. You've got some like the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund, which invests in basically every single company in the US. The advantage here is that I don't have to be right and say that Facebook is better than Peloton or that Google is better than, I don't know, Microsoft or, or whatever. I don't have to put the pressure on myself to choose what companies are going to be the next great thing and which ones are not. I own the entire thing. I like to, I'm a, a basketball sports fan. And I, I'd rather team? say, I'm, I'm a Laker fan. I've been a Laker fan <laughs> since like 1994. Bruh, what's up with your team, man? Right, we won't we talk about that. This ain't, <laughs> this ain't ESPN. <laughs> we can make it ESPN. Yo, what's up with your boy, Anthony Davis, man? Anthony right. Davis is bad stock. He is, <laughs> he is driving he is. your Laker index you, down, bro. Look, you are correct. <laughs> but I think, you know, Russell Westbrook is also broken, apparently. Um, but look, hey, and, then Le- look. and then LeBron is your winner. <laughs> yeah, so I, I got, I diversified. <laughs> so, <laughs> you could be a the, Knicks fan. Yeah, oof. I, yeah. that's, that's real broken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My bad, so, I interrupted you. <laughs> no, 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 you're fine, you're fine. But the, the, point, the point of bringing that up is that um, an index fund would be, I own the NBA. 
I don't own mm. a team. I don't have to be right about a team. Right. I own the whole thing. I really don't care who wins because I, I own I like the whole that thing. analogy. So like yeah, so when it, with an index fund, I don't have to be right about, well, what if Tesla doesn't come back? Fine. I've got 3,000 other companies in this fund. And on average, I'm going to be right more often than I am wrong. So that is the, the beauty of index funds. So dollar cost averaging inside of an index fund is the passively path of least resistance. Uh, when I was an advisor, this was the majority of the millionaires I saw. And it's the easiest thing you can do, especially Why if you're you busy. flexing, man? Why are you flexing, bro? I, I just got <laughs> the millionaires people, like, he I, saw. I, I, I just, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, they bring me their receipts. I'm like, hmm. All right, I see. How, I see how this works, right? That's good. I like and it. That means, like, that means it shows you that you you know what you're doing, though. So it's absolutely, good. and I think like you know you could. There's one thing like my own personal experience when I'm doing, but it's also I've seen it replicated dozens mm-hmm. of times, mm-hmm. and I can see from like you know if you're young, you're still in med school. I'm telling you from experience of seeing people 40 years from now and how they got there, and looking at the DNA of what their accounts were made out of, what they did, and to help them to to further their wealth. Mm-hmm. So the the medical students who are listening, or even the residents who are listening. So if you're a resident, uh, Kevin, just so you know, like they graduated from medical school now. Now they're they're learning how to be a doctor. Probably on average, they're making anywhere between thirty thousand to maybe fifty thousand, maybe a little bit higher, depending if they're in a large city or not. Um, so you're saying that for them. They should be invested. And depending on where they are, their residency program may or may not have like a 403B. So you're talking about investing in an index fund in their, like in their Roth IRA or across talk to us where, where, where they should be doing that. Yeah, you should, you should likely do that across the board. So inside your 403B, you almost only have choices of index funds there. So you sure. definitely want to do it there. If you have a Roth IRA or just a traditional individual retirement account, so those are your options, do it there too. Any account you got, it is okay to put as much in index funds as you choose. Again, path of least resistance, the easiest thing you can do. And you want to get as much money working for you as possible. Uh, most people are saying about 15% of your income is good. Anything above that is even better. Mm. Okay. And I, the reason I, I push residents to start because, so for me, I didn't start until I became an attending. And for me, I came from, you know, just our first generation immigrant family. Um, never really had much money. And then all of a sudden, I feel like the stakes went through the roof when I became an attending because now I have this money. I don't want to mess it up. And as a result, I didn't want to mess things up. I have a bunch of student loans. I didn't know what to do with my money. I stuck my head in the sand. Mm-hmm. Or I hired someone who didn't know, or excuse me, I hired someone who really didn't have my interests at heart. So mm-hmm. I didn't make the mistakes that I should have made in residency so that by the time I can, like I should have walked so that I could run. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I always t- always try to get the residents to understand, like, if you start investing now, if you start when you have a lower amount of money, you're it's easier to make those small mistakes mm-hmm. than to want to make really big mistakes when you feel like the stakes are higher. So I agree with you. Investing in the index funds in your IRA, investing in index funds, if they decide to open up like a brokerage account, like we're talking about, you know, like with Vanguard or with uh, Robinhood and you want to buy some some individual, excuse me, some index funds, go do it through there. Um, so I definitely appreciate you um, expressing that. Now, with the recession, with all this stock splitting, with all this noise, some people's loans are getting uh, forgiven, mainly like the for-profit schools. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on how people should be handling their loan situation right now, particularly people who are like 150K, 200K, almost 300K in debt. What are your thoughts on how what they should do about their loans right now? Should they pay it off? Should they wait? Because I don't think loan forgiveness is coming for those folks, but 
I would like to get your thoughts. I mean, you you call Money Bag Joe right quick. That's <laughs> what we need to do. You call him, uh, man. That's your boy. <laughs> <laughs> man, I'm, I'm not the one with 300K, though. Man, so y'all, y'all, y'all way smarter than me. Um, but in either case, uh, the realistic solution here is to try and achieve balance. Um, there is a, a, a fight between, uh, you know, depending on where you are on the financial spectrum in terms of like, who says pay all, off all your debt first and who says like balancing out and invest while paying off your debt. I'm really on the balancing piece because okay. the most important thing is time. Time is your most important asset. And if you were to say, I'm going to sit here and pay off all my debt for however long that takes, let's say it's five years, let's say it's 10 years, let's say it's even three years, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to go back and say, hey, let me go back and get you know the stock market prices from 2019. Yeah, and let me like go back to that. You you don't have that opportunity. Um, so for example, I forget what the exact stat is, but like the stock market over the last five years has been up over hundred yeah. percent. If I if I just did all my debt and didn't invest anything, I'm I'm never going to get that time back. And in fact, it is going to be harder for me to reach my wealth goals once that time is gone. So for example, for my kids, uh, I'm investing about hundred dollars a month for my kids. They're four and for one. You, man. Good for you. Appreciate that. Thank you. So they'll, they'll be, by the time they're around my age, about 35 or so, assume they did nothing else, just $100 a month, they would be millionaires by, again, about age 35 to 37. If they wait until they're 18, if they wait until they're 20, that means they only have 15 years to do that. And they're going to have to invest like $2,500 a month. They may not have that just laying around at 18, right? So, and do that every single month. So it becomes more expensive and a lot harder because your time frame has been condensed. The power so, of compounding. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So my thing is, let's say if 15% is the goal and you can't do 15 because you got student loans, bring that down a little bit. Let's say, let's let's do 10, let's do seven while attacking the student loans at the same time and slowly increase that amount. Um, so, but what about in these situations where like they're putting a pause on things where they're doing like these extended forbearances and mm-hmm. interest is, I, I, interest is not building at this point. Right. Right. Yeah. If, so should you pay or should you wait? Like, that's the part that I think a lot of people with I'm, high debt are, are concerned about. What, what's your answer on yeah, that? Yeah. So for me, I, I wouldn't pay. I wouldn't pay. I would take as much as I can. Cause if I know I have to pay you know, in a few months or even a few years, then I want to put as much in the market as I can now and let that continue to build. Okay. So you're saying divert your money from loans to investing, saving, okay. To investing investing and saving because you want to have your your three to six months of of your your rent or mortgage. So you've got that secured and you're investing your money because those things are going to take care of you regardless of, of what happens. Right. And I would rather invest the money and park it and let it run and just grow and then when the loans come back on, start to do both at the same time. Because you're, you're literally not being penalized at all because you're not paying interest. So while it can help you to a degree, I think you're going to be more benefited by taking advantage of time. Mm, okay. All right. I actually, so me and my wife, we paid off almost 700K in three years. Um, but what we were able to do is we were able to go ham on the loans, but we mm-hmm. still were able to take like 20% of our money. We maxed out our 401Ks. Mm-hmm. Right. We did that. And then we maxed out our traditional IRAs and that was it. And then we did some, we had an emergency fund. And then after that, we went ham because we had some private yeah. loans of up to almost 190 that were anywhere between 190,000 that were between like nine to like 13, 14%. Mm-hmm. So we were getting killed there. Um, and then we also had like at least the rest, which was a, 
anywhere between like 500 to 550 that was in consolidated loans, the good old mm -hmm. days when it was like 2%, right? right. Um, so for us, it became a combination of emotion as well as mathematics. Mm -hmm. And um, we just didn't want to be tied down to a lot of things right. um, and definitely not tied down to our specific job or the location. And we felt like we moved to a specific location because we didn't have any money. We felt like we were broke. Mm -hmm. um, so I agree with you with the, with the balanced approach. Um, but I just... I always just let people know that we were a little bit less than balanced. We went a little bit harder on student loans so that we can get it out the way. And we really valued our mobility, but we still invested. We just didn't put, you know, that significant amount of money into our brokerage account. We just focused on the deferred tax account, taxable, which, not taxable which account. yeah. So to me, that is balance. Like if, okay, if, if gotcha. you were able to, to ask, like we're talking more than 20, close to 26 or $27,000 a year between the maxing out the, the 403B and uh and an IRA. So right. like to me, that's that's perfect balance. It's even better than than most, right? So if you can hit those two bars and you still have money left over, I would absolutely go as hard as I could at uh on the loans if I can do those two things at the same time. Mm. So Loki, I heard you say in the beginning of the interview, the talk, you were saying that you have still student loans. What's your what's your like um What's your plan? How are you handling what's going on right now with the forbearances, with student loans possibly being forgiven? How do you handle yours? Yeah, yeah, they get paid off eventually. Um, okay, <laughs> so I got I, you. Okay, but no, like I, I have for for undergrad, it's like three thousand dollars left. Like okay. it's so I'm really not pressed at all. Um, but the thing is, my net worth has grown so much because I was able to put so much more towards investing while slowly throwing a little bit at the student loans at a time. Um, so for me, like, but again, like 3000 is, is not much compared to 300,000 or 700,000. Um, so it, it really depends on, on where you are, but I've taken advantage of having 0% interest the last two years, but I, the amount of money I've paid off on my loan during this time compared to my investing is at least double. Got you. Okay. So you're still paying off something, but you're not going hard like you were before. And you're just shifting significant amounts into it, into mm -hmm into investing. Okay. That makes sense. Right. All right. So let's take a step back. Like I, so you, you talked about the advice for busy, you know, residents and so forth, and they are probably looking at us. They're like, yeah, I, I get what they're saying. Calm down, invest in index funds, but I still don't get it. Like explain to me how I even start an account and how do I, what's like, what index funds do I buy? Talk to me. Like, I heard you say Vanguard Total Stock Market. Even before that, talk to us about that. What What do they need to do? Because they're busy. Like, they come home, they get to work by five, they're getting home by seven, and they still got to study. They got to re get ready for presentations, and some of them may be taking a 24-hour call. So it's really difficult for them to really grasp, like, maybe like a 30,000-foot view. Take us a little mm -hmm. bit more granular, if you can, please. Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll break it down. So the first thing is, again, if you have a 403B, that is your, your number one place to start. A lot of people don't think, for whatever reason, it's like, yeah, I don't invest. I'm like, do you have a 403B? Do you have a 401K? I was like, yeah. Um, so that that is one place to start. Um, but essentially, you open an account. I and mean, we'll talk about the, the types of accounts in a second. But one, you open an account. Two, you put money in it. And then three, most importantly, you select what investments you want. Yeah, I, Those I heard are about the three people. Steps. I heard about people transferring money into their account, and then yep. that's it. They don't yep. buy an actual index fund. Yep. So I, I've I've had a client that that did that. She came in. I think she worked. She worked at a department store for like thirty years, and came in. So hey, I've got like three hundred thousand dollars. What can I do about retirement? Literally retired like next two or three years. I'm looking at it. I'm like, man, this is ninety nine percent cash. 
what have you been doing this entire time? And it was just, she said, I opened it, I put money in. I'm like, but you didn't choose any investments in 30 years. Did you have to duck when she threw something at you or? I mean, she thought it because I, I wasn't around for 30 years. So <laughs> at that point in time, so it wasn't on me. Um, I mean, it was, it was, it was an unfortunate conversation and we, you know, tried to make some changes and stuff. Um, but those, those are the three steps. You have to complete all three. Don't miss out on, on none of them. Um, so you open the account, your options, you got your 43B, it's going to be your largest tax advantage account. So that's, that's one option. You have your individual retirement accounts, Roth and traditional, and then you have your brokerage. All of them have different, um, advantages and disadvantages. You can open them all. Okay. So you want to. I'm going to put as much money as many buckets as I can. So do that. Then select your, your funds. We talked about index funds. One of my favorite, um, is that's the Vanguard total stock market index fund. Again, so, it owns. So that's all. VTSAX or, or VTI. VTI. Okay. Yep. Very good. Yep. So One y'all listening, y'all listening to this, this is Take a master class. <laughs> Take notes y'all. So VTSAX or VTI yep. is the one that he prefers the most. Okay. Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. right. So I've opened my account. I've put uh, deposited money. Again, 50% is like the standard, but do what you feel is comfortable and, and the more is always better. Um, so you've opened the account, you've deposited money in it, you've bought um, that fund across as many accounts as, as possible. So that makes you like bare minimum basic investor there. So you, those are the steps to, to at least get started. Mm, okay. All right. So the next thing that I want to jump into also is... is the next noise is Bitcoin, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, obviously back in 2009, 2010, people were laughing at you when you mentioned Bitcoin. You know, some of them had the last laugh over the last 10 years, definitely over the last, what, three or four years, they've been laughing. And to the point where crypto's made so much money, I think that's part of the reason why Elon Musk is flexing, right? Like he's got so much money that he can do whatever he wants. Like people who own crypto are buying, they change the name of the LA, your your Staples Center to the Crypto Center, right? <laughs> oh like God, there yes. is just <laughs> flooding. Like I, I think that's one of the things that I think five years from now, or maybe even sooner than that, there's going to be a huge expose of what the pandemic did with the shifting of money mm-hmm. to even more rich people and how much more money they got, whether it's through whatever means, but definitely crypto was one of them and how they are able to spend money for who knows? Like, I mean, you can you could trace it down to NLI with the name, image, and likeness with athletes and all of these different uh, boosters spending all of this money on these athletes. Like, a lot of their money is coming from either crypto or it's coming from oil. There's just mm-hmm. a significant amount of money that's out there. Um, so what, what are your thoughts on Bitcoin? Because what I heard over the last two years or three years is that it's transformative. It's a way to quickly traverse you know, classes and so forth, but it's, it's struggling right now. It's what down to 24,000. Yes. Bitcoin is struggling hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, Depending on what time y'all are listening, like it's down (laughs) at least, at least 50% from where it was last year. Um, I think it, it, Bitcoin is a weird thing because I think Bitcoin has some of the most enthusiastic investors on the internet, which is, it's just crypto, crypto as a whole, which is weird. And mayors. Yeah. Yeah. Like I invest in Microsoft. There is no Microsoft gang out there. Like, how dare you talk bad about this stock? Like, don't nobody care, but you say something bad about Bitcoin on the internet and they will come for you and they'll tell you that Bitcoin can do all these amazing things. I am neutral on Bitcoin. I have about 1% of my entire portfolio in Bitcoin and I'm going to keep it. Uh, but it's 
I, I look at my risk and I see what that, that investment has done. I'm like, hey, I'll give me a little bit. If it goes up, great. If it doesn't, it's not going to throw off my entire life plan. Right. So that's, so that's a, if you that's had a dollar problem. and you own, you put one percent or one cent into Bitcoin and it falls, like that's not going to hurt you. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah, and I've, I've I've been saying this for years. Like one, I was trying to get up to three percent, but obviously it fell. So mm-hmm. you know, I'm trying to get up to three percent, and I'm like, all right, I, I got it. I'm exposed to it. If it does well, grave. It doesn't. It doesn't hurt me. Um, Do you my, think it's transformative? Yes and did, no. Did you, like, like, did you believe all that stuff where people were saying, hey, it's going to take people from the lower class to the... Like- no, I, I ain't believing that mess. Um, <laughs> because my thing is, and and maybe even similar to, to, to you and your field, as someone who's gotten a degree in economics and a master's in business, I study, I've been able to study the stock market for a minimum of the last 10 years. And I'm using data and theories and textbooks and stuff that cover the last 50 years. I know what I know. Right. And I've it's been tested generation after generation. Bitcoin hasn't been a, a, around long enough for any of these people to know anything, in my view. Right. Like people said five years ago, Bitcoin is digital gold, is a hedge for inflation. Inflation is up. Yeah. Bitcoin is down bad. That don't make sense. So basically what they right? were saying is if inflation went up, that Bitcoin's value should go up. Exactly. So basically, it was kind of like, you know, like back in the day, quote unquote, like when inflation was up, gold is where people went. It was like, it's a safe Mm -hmm. asset. I can hold it. The value of gold gets better. That's that's not the case. That's what everybody said Bitcoin was supposed to be. And that hasn't been the case. They said that because it was decentralized, there was no governing body like the Fed, that Bitcoin was going to be an asset that was going to free people. You could do whatever it is you wanted to do. Well, we've had apps like, like Celsius and others completely shut down and say, look, you cannot withdraw your money because we're going through some stuff. <laughs> Sorry. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Y'all this is supposed me- to be, yep. This is supposed to be like digital crypto, cryptocurrency yeah, yeah, that I be at, you cannot like, track. I want my money. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And the funny thing about them was that they, on their website, they said, you know, before they, before this came out, it was like, be able to access your money without, you know, restriction. It's like, what are you talking about? Right? right. Like this was decentralized finance and they are not regulated like banks. So if they decide to just up and leave or close, you have no guarantee to get your money back. But that's what you wanted. That's what that's, that's what y'all told me Bitcoin was, you told me cryptocurrency was, decentralized, free, open, all that stuff. And I'm like, yeah, we'll see. I'm I'm patient enough to to give it another 10 years to see if that's going to be the case. But so far it hasn't lived up to the hype. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I I'm, I I recently listened to, I think it was Vice or NPR, and they were talking about how you know a lot of these mayors, particularly the mayor in Miami, they created their own or he created the city's own type of Bitcoin called like Miami Coin or something like that, mm-hmm. and attached like a significant amount of utilities and significant amount of just spending on things that normally need to occur in the city related to Bitcoin, and not a Bitcoin has dropped. Like he tried to make Miami the next like haven basically, mm-hmm. for, you know, investors in Bitcoin and all of these miners in Bitcoin to come here or go to Miami. That's not panning out. And they're losing significant amount of money. And I don't know. You know, I, I don't know if it's transformative. I have no clue. I actually think and invest the same way as you. I have a dollar. One percent of it will go towards Bitcoin. And if I lose it, then it's it's one cent mm-hmm. that I lost in comparison to my entire 
you know, uh, profile or my uh, portfolio. I do believe in the blockchain, like that technology. Yep. I do yep. think that there's something there, but I just think it's wet, mad early. And I don't know, man, I agree with you. Like, you just got to go with tried and true right now. The yeah. NFTs and all those things, I don't know. But yeah, um, it's, yeah, it's at the end of the day, it's about what does this thing do? Not what you think it'll do, not what you think it has the potential to do. What does it actually do? And how how is that thing valued? So why I usually lean more towards the stock market is because like if I'm investing in Apple, as long as they make an iPhones, as long as y'all buying them, it makes sense. The stock goes up. On the opposite end, Netflix is losing subscribers. Like, oh, it makes sense. You you make you make content, people watch content, stock goes up, right? It's just that's just what it is. Bitcoin doesn't really do anything. anything. Like I, I it can send you money back and forth, but like it doesn't, there's no CEO of Bitcoin. There's no revenue reports for me to like analyze. It's just, it just is. And it goes up when people feel good about it. It goes down, people don't. That's not, that's not good enough for me to be investing a significant chunk of my income in just based on what likes and popularity. Like if, if it weren't for Instagram and Twitter, would Bitcoin even be as popular as it is today? That's a good point. That's I true. don't know. Right. <laughs> that's a good point. And you know, when everybody's jumping in, that's when you should be like, hmm, it's already mature. <laughs> right. Right. Definitely. Yeah, I need to, I need to backwalk. I need to moonwalk. All right. How about this? Like that's, that's another thing that's bringing a lot of noise. Here's something that's not bringing a lot of noise, but I think it can, this is not life-changing, but I think that treasury I bonds can have a place in a portfolio at this moment, particularly with inflation going up. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think so. Do you and, have a and, tell, and tell us what that is, please. Yeah, so they're they're called I bonds. They are inflation protected bonds. They've been around for decades, but obviously with inflation being high, now people are paying attention to it. Mm-hmm. And basically, what it is is it is a bond, which is basically a loan to the government where they promise to pay you back. Um, they're the safest asset out there. As long as, as long as we got taxes, you're gonna get your money back. Um, so essentially what they do is they are going to guarantee you a rate of return that is adjusted for inflation. And now I think the, if I remember correctly, it's like 9.62% guaranteed return, um, which is pretty good. And how does that pay? It pays over six. Is that like every six months you get 9.62 or is that every month? How does that work? It is. Um, it's an annual rate that is paid out every six months, if I'm not mistaken. Gotcha. But there are, there are some asterisks, some, an asterisk plural. I don't know what the word it is. Um, there are some things you need to know. Because it's it's being hyped as like you can get nine nine percent guaranteed when the market is down terrible and inflation is up. So remember when they created these, they give you a, a set rate which is really low, and then an inflation adjusted rate which says basically says inflation is here. I'm going to guarantee that you are going to get more than whatever inflation is at that point in time. So right now it's nine point whatever it's going to be. You can only invest ten thousand per year. Okay. So so it's limited. It is very very limited, and to, for you to receive that interest, you have to have it for at least one year. It's not something where it's like, oh, let me put my money here, like my savings. Let me put my savings here, and then in eight months, let me withdraw it. You do that, you're not going to get anything out of it. So if it's like your emergency fund and you need your money, you can't just yeah, write to the government. That's, that's hey, not I what really, you want to do. I really, really need it. They're going to be like, yeah, yeah no. Nah. Yeah. You, they're like, all right, well, you just wasted eight months of your time because- <laughs> You can't do nothing with this. Um, so, so not, those not are, a place to park your emergency fund. Then, bro. It is It is not a place to park okay. your emergency fund. If you got your emergency fund set, you're already investing and you've got some extra, you're like, well, what do I do with all this extra money? Then you can put some there and you're you're at least not going to lose money to inflation. Those are the situations where it makes sense. But nobody's going to get rich off of them because you can only do $10,000 gotcha. a year. The other part of this is that 
let's say, and I don't think this is going to happen, especially not in the short term, let's say inflation were wiped out tomorrow. You're not getting 9% after that. That is, again, that is a variable rate. So now you get 9.2%, but in two years, it's going to go down to whatever inflation is going to be at that point in time. So you have to really pay attention to that part of it too. So if inflation goes back to what the normal levels are, we're talking about your money's just basically sitting there. Yeah, just sitting there. You're not, again, you, you will quote unquote never lose money to inflation, but you may only get like a dollar or two above what you would have gotten in like a savings account or something like that. Um, so again, they're they're solid. They're not a bad idea by any stretch of the imagination. I just think, at least on Twitter, it's a little overrated where people are thinking like, oh, I'm I'm gonna be rich. It's like you can only do ten thousand. Like, <laughs> I will take if I can guarantee nine percent, yeah, I'm gonna take that. But like after a certain point, that's not gonna like make or break you. Got you, got you. So it's not nine point whatever percent or however percentage it is that's really great. It's not like that in perpetuity. It is, yeah, it, it is variable. Not. It changes yeah. what every six months. I, I'm assuming. Uh, I think it. I think so. I think so. Okay. All right. And then you just go to the U.S. Treasury. We'll put the links in the show notes for people to find. Yeah, out. Yeah, it's like USA that. Direct Treasury or something like that. All right. So what's uh, Kevin Matthews invested in? Tell us what you, what you do. Yeah, I do all the things. All right. No. <laughs> all right. So I, I obviously have the majority of my money in index funds. Um, I rebalance. So I go back and re- like review my investments. I think this is important twice a year. So okay. when I talk about like, you don't have to check your account every day. I don't like, I, I don't. Um, and that's because like, even when I sit down with clients, <clears throat> we have like a quarterly review four times a year, a, a biannual review twice a year, or just once a year. Like I, me being in there every single day is not going to help me. It's not going to help you. And this, it's only going to cause you to overcorrect for certain gotcha. things. Um, so the last time I checked, and I check at the end of June. So in a few weeks, I'll go back and check. Okay. Um, but yeah, you, a, you don't want that pain right now, do you? <laughs> I, I certainly do not. <laughs> I got that's, you. that's how I can stay invested because like, I, I have to stare at this every day. Um, but in either case, about 70% of, of my all of my money is invested in index funds. So that's number one. You said um, 70%? Close to 70%. Yeah. Got you. Okay. Makes sense. So, okay. Yeah. So that, that remaining 30%, that's why I have a few individual stocks. Uh, I'm a big fan of, these are not recommendations, but I'm a big fan of Microsoft and Google. Those are some of my all-time favorite stocks. And I'm really looking at, Costco is kind of that mid-tier that I really like, but I'm looking at companies that tend to do well in potential recessions and tend to do well uh, when the economy is is trying to figure out itself. Um, Why Costco? So is it that people just tend to buy like in bulk when they're in recession? Well, it's not not, not as as they have to. Like in some cases, like, some people just just have a larger family or, or what have you, even businesses, you're catering and stuff like that. You go in bulk, but also they have the membership business where you cannot go. Costco's still going to get paid. So it's companies like that. That subscription service um, is something that I really like about Costco. They did incredibly well in the pandemic. They did well last year. Uh, and this year, I mean, almost everything is down. So they are down this year. But it's one of those companies that tend to like weather the storm, most storms anyway, um, so those types of, of companies are the ones I'm, I really have an eye on right now. So help me understand Microsoft, because I just feel like, like, how is Microsoft still winning? But from a user standpoint, like, it looks like they're losing, right? Like, their cell phones suck, so they don't sell cell phones anymore, right? So they're not in the mobile game. game. Well, they're not in the mobile phone game. Nobody, or not mobile, but a significant amount of people are preferring Apple than Windows, right? Windows is becoming less and less relevant. Google has entered into this into the game. How is it that Microsoft continues to win? What what do they do? Is it 
what what's going on is it like their um is it their back end like is it the 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 clouding the cloud gaming or the cloud stuff that really separates them yeah so they have a few things uh first rip to window to uh internet explorer it died today <laughs> It should have died a long time ago. We, we Yo, be honest. <laughs> Internet Explorer is literally typical of like Windows 1990, 2000, just stagnation. Like it is <laughs> like, right? It is the epitome of like, why yeah. are you sticking with this program that just like, sucks? Why are you still here? Like, right. <laughs> Damn, you're like, right uh, on that. <laughs> kind of like, uh, what was it sister, sister? Like, go home, Roger. Like, right. why are you here? Um, rest so, in yeah. infamy. I don't care. I'm not saying rest in peace, man. <laughs> Just I left that narcotic in like 2006, 2007. I went to Firefox. F that, man. Yeah. Whenever whenever I found out about Chrome, I, I haven't been back. Yeah. Um, so a few things about Microsoft. So I went, I had to go back and find this tweet. So after 27 years, as of today, Microsoft um, has, has ended the life of Internet Explorer. It's, it's gone up yonder. Um, but essentially, if you invested $1,000 when that went out, when uh, Internet Explorer started, you'd have about $102,000. Uh, I'm sorry, $112,000 today. $1,000 one time, left it alone. Okay, If you just invested just $100 a month, which is very low, just $100 a month, you'd have $623,000 from Microsoft. Really? Which, okay. That ain't right. You're always like, all right, well, let me look at this. Okay. Um, but the, the thing I like you got about me, you got me interested. Okay, right. So here's here's the thing. Here's my here's my pitch for for Microsoft. So they're in gaming with Xbox. They're Xbox One. I don't have one. Um, I'm more of a PlayStation person myself. But whatever. You got PlayStation um, Five? No, I've been trying to I get was about one. To say, I was like, if yeah, you the plug, if you got a plug for PlayStation Five, let man, me know. <laughs> like, gosh, if I was if I was a plug, I would been have one. <laughs> you want to talk about hedge against inflation? I got like nine thousand PlayStation Fives that I'm selling. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. how Kevin is making his money. <laughs> right. Uh, so they, they own Xbox. Um, they also own Skype, which I feel like should have been Zoom, but that was a missed opportunity. So yeah. I, uh, yeah, they missed that. Opportunity. Yeah, they, they totally missed that. Um, but don't forget like their, their computing business. Like While people prefer Apple when it comes to Macs and iPhones, those are obviously much nicer. Windows still has the a foothold in the market. Like the fact Enterprise. that we all know Outlook as much as we all hate it, as much yeah. like it's it's still a thing. Um, and then they have a lot of government contracts too when yeah. it comes to AI and they have the, their entire Microsoft um, Azure cloud computing platform. They did a contract with the defense um, for like AI training software to help soldiers like understand the battlefield and all that kind of stuff. Um, they've been around forever. I don't really see them going anywhere. And they're in a business where it comes to like hardware and software that's really hard for even Apple to penetrate. Like Apple has a, a nicer looking business but sizably like Microsoft is, is blowing, blowing Apple out the water. All right. So as we're talking right now, I just want people to understand this. Cause I think the other thing too, is people get a little bit, um, they get concerned. Well, wow, now they're going back to talking about individual stocks. So I'm going to type in holdings of VTSAX so people can really understand how this works. So I, I right? can, I'm going to see how many I can, I've memorized from that one, from the top 10. Okay. Let's go. We let's do this it. is, this is just from, from memory. So Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, United Healthcare, Berkshire Hathaway, Nvidia, uh, Johnson and Johnson. Damn, you pretty much that's, got it to the T. Yeah, that's, set, that's at least seven out of top ten. Yeah, you got uh, you got United Health Group, which is a big, large HMO that's in there also. But mm -hmm. you got significant Tesla. So basically, everybody, what he's saying is, is as much as he's talking about individual stocks like the Amazons, the Microsofts, Tesla. If you buy VTSAX, which is an index fund, that stock that Microsoft is already in there, 
Apple's already in there. Tesla's already in there. And it's weighted, right? It's weighted mm-hmm. based off of how they're performing. So in that stock, like it may have what, like maybe, I don't know, I'm making the numbers up, but like 10% of it or 4% of it is in Microsoft. And so a significant amount is invested in these individual companies, but you're doing it as an index. Yep. And that and that's the thing. Like, what if I'm wrong about Microsoft? Right. I might be, but this fund has all those other things that I, right. I named plus even more. Um, so yeah, so like you don't have to like sit here and do all that research and memorize what's in it either, but I can get that one fund. It's going to have it in there. And if they do well, then my fund is going to do well too. I love it. I love it. Listen, we covered a lot um, and we got some really good information from you and we definitely appreciate it, but we saved the best for last. All right. Let's, let's have some fun a little bit. Let's talk about your, your favorite magazine growing up. You know, for me, it was the source. For you, I'm assuming it was Rolling Stone. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm teasing you. <laughs> so Rolling Stone released their 200 greatest hip-hop albums, causing quite the storm on the internets. Um, yeah, this list is jacked up. This, this ranking list is jacked up. Already, I'm going to list what the mistakes I see. MC Light, her album is in the 180s. Common Ooh. is in the 140s. Nas, Illmatic which was one of the greatest albums that kind of transitioned and changed the way in which people rapped and how music and how basically you listen from an album from the beginning to the end is was like, it, it was ranked behind Cardi B. Um, this whole thing was ranked wrong. I, and and as someone who is a huge Outkast fan like you, um, I think Tribe Called Quest is better, but I get it when people think that Outkast is the bomb, but Stankonia, AT Aliens is not even on the list, I don't believe. I don't, I don't think they were, but, but I'm be honest with you. Like I was so mad at the list. I was like, I, I can't even, I'm not even going to go to 140. I, I looked at the top 10. I was like, look, if, if X, Y, and Z out made here, this whole yeah. list is trash. And the whole list was trash. But like yeah. of all the outcast albums, nobody is, what, what do they put? Stankonia. Like, Stankonia. Like, yeah. yeah and, and, it's, and it was a good album, but like, I don't think most people would even know that one. Yeah. If I were just like throw a dart at an Outkast album, that ain't going to be the one. That's not the one they're going to choose. I agree with you there. I agree with you. Public Enemy, I agree with. Um, Biggie's album, yes, I agree with. Um, there's some others in the top 10 that I agree with, but there's some in the top 10 that I'm like, they don't even belong in the top 200. Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of things that I'm just like, man, like, mm. it just seems like, you know, just between me and you, it just seems like it's whatever album sold the most. I mean, just because an album sold the most doesn't mean it's the most influential. It's, I, I even think like Lauren Hill in the top 10, I agree she'd be in the top 10. Mm-hmm. I think she should be even lower. I think she should be like higher up, like maybe in the top seven. Yeah, I, I definitely think I was glad to see her in the top 10. I would have definitely slid it higher. And I, I so I had this debate with my 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 text group. Does, was Missy Elliott as yeah. an album? Like, yeah. I don't. Yeah. Honestly, no. I can't name no. I can name a bunch of Missy Elliott songs and yeah. she's an amazing artist. She has amazing videos. Like that was her music videos were like my entire childhood. So right. no disrespect to her art, but I cannot name a single, I guess outside of misdemeanor, which I guess I would put that up there if I was gonna put any album. But like I don't think people think like, oh, Missy's albums. Like I don't hear nothing about any of her albums ever. Like top 10. I guess Tupac that's, is not in there. It's not even in the top 10. Yeah, I ain't even. Yeah. I even, <laughs> before I even noticed that. Let's just leave it. Let's just leave it there. And uh, basically, the stock of Rolling Stone is down, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It's down. down on Peloton. <laughs> Man, listen, 
Kevin Matthews, this was a dope conversation, man. I really appreciate you breaking down a lot of things for us, um, us busy professionals. And um, listen, I hope we can do it again, maybe get some questions because we get a lot of questions from the audience as to how they should attack their student loans uh, or how they should attack their student loans and also invest. Or, you know, should they even go to school, professional school, knowing that they're going to get all of the student loans? So I would love to kind of throw some of these questions at you and bring you back in the future if some of these questions pop up. Um, but nonetheless, man, thank you very much for coming on Docs Outside the Box. How can people connect with you, watch what you put out there? Tell us all of that. Yeah, you can find me on all things social media at Building Bread. You should definitely follow me on the YouTube channel if you're more of a visual learner. We do brand new videos Monday through Friday covering everything in the market. So you can catch me there and literally anywhere else and also at buildingbread.com. All of those links will be in the show notes, folks. This was this was a treat, man. Kevin Matthews, thank you very much for coming on Docs Outside the Box, man. We're going to catch you guys on the next one. Make sure you guys let us know what you think about the episode. Text us, um, or you can also leave us uh, a link. If you click on the link on the server, you can let us know what you think about this episode as well as other future episodes. We'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace. Hey guys, thanks again for listening as well as supporting Docs Outside the Box. Listen, this show is produced by Darko Media Group and the dope audio experience is edited by the one, the only Christian Parry, also known as your podcast pal. Links to him in the show notes. Listen, this is Dr. Nee, the Doc Outside the Box. I'll catch you on the next one. Peace.